Xgrowth has helped B2B tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts, roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. marketing legends and welcome back to another episode of Growth Colony. It's Liza from Xgrowth here and just wanted to let you know that the following episode is a rebroadcast. Don't worry, we'll be back shortly with more awesome guests. For now, sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hother with Xgrowth and today I'm talking to Suzanne Pelizari, APAC Marketing Director at C. SG about how as an APAC marketer, you can take your HQ campaigns and make them relevant for the region. On that note, let's dive in. Suzanne, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Very happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this discussion today. Super excited. Super excited. And and a very relevant topic, especially for anyone in tech, HQ in UK or US or somewhere else. First of all, I'd love to get a little bit of an understanding in terms of for you at CSG, what does APAC mean? Like what, what are some of the geographies that you're kind of are under your umbrella and what does that look like? Can you give us a quick picture of that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question because Asia Pacific can mean many things to many organizations. And I've had for me at CSG right now, Asia Pacific is everything excluding China. So most people would look at Asia Pacific and think China is the huge market. And so it should, you know, particularly when we talk about growth, it should be part of APAC. But for me here, it's basically everything excluding China. And from a telecommunications perspective, which is the markets that we serve, we also aren't actively involved in Japan or Korea. So it's quite a tight market. So it's India, the subcontinent, Asia, you know, and then obviously ANZ. Got it. Yeah, those those geographies are different beasts, Japan and Korea and, and, and China, um, all, all for their own reasons. But that's, thank you very much for giving that context, right? So where I want to start is, I, I love to hear about some of the issues you faced when it comes to using international campaigns and messaging for the APAC region. What are some of the, some of the challenges and issues that you face when, when you have these campaigns and you want to implement them in the region? Yeah, I think there's, you know, I think the first one that comes to mind really is research versus reality. You know, when you work with global organizations, they tend to do a lot of their research around their programs and their growth opportunities using a lot of data. And, you know, data is the goal, but it's also the pain as well. And so they sort of come back to you and they say, we've got this great campaign that we'd like to put into market. We've actually started to construct what that campaign will look like because we believe the market opportunity for you in Asia Pacific is this. And the campaign we'd like to roll out gives a lot of these messages and we're going to, we've crafted it so you can just pick it up and just drop it in market. And, you know, when you look at that content and you look at that campaign and you look at the data on paper, that makes sense. And you can understand even from a creative perspective, because they have taken it from a North American or a European perspective where they've been very successful 
And typically Asia is considered the growth. You can see where they're coming from. But then when you actually sit down, talk to your sales teams and the people on the ground, what you want, what you start to see is there is another number, another layer that you need to put into this, which is what's actually happening in market today. And does And what does that mean for us in terms of will we close or have any deal sizes and opportunities in the next year or two? And so it's hard sometimes to be able to go back to corporate and go, that is a great campaign and we love it. However, we're going to, instead of the 30 accounts you think we should target, we actually think there's only six to eight that are real today. And that campaign you've crafted, which is amazing and would make absolute sense at such a large scale cannot be actually used locally, we'll have to nuance that because of language, because of visuals, because of actually the way you want to execute it. So to give you an example in one of these campaigns, they wanted to send out a really high-end gift to align to the theme of the campaign. But, but as I, you know, we said to them, you could send it, but we can guarantee you it will never make the end user because it will just get lost somewhere between being delivered at the office and actually getting to where it needs to be. And what we suggested instead was rather than actually send something of value, why not use having a meeting and engaging with them an opportunity for us to give them that that gift, so to speak. So it's just one, you know, I think we have to be very conscious of the fact that we work with global agencies or we have a central marketing agency model, but we have to take into consideration regionally that there will always be nuances. And then on top of that, you you cannot say that Asia Pacific is a homogenous market because it's not. You know, there are there it's developing markets, there's developed markets, there's if we just talk about Japan and Korea, they're overdeveloped markets, they're they're running ahead of even developed markets. So it's really about understanding those nuances and then overlaying that with what makes sense locally for us. And then how do we take corporate messaging, refine it, and maybe even personalize it by country where appropriate, because the target is quite small. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, those are such great points. And I mean, you talk about the gift thing and telco. I mean, some organizations might not even accept gift. They have to like declare stuff and that, you know, that becomes a big, big pain. Suzanne, what's your process for this personalization. So what how what do you go through when you talk about it seems like you you approach the sales team, but love to hear about your process of taking these international campaigns and then reskinning them or customizing them to to the region. Yeah, so I think it, it's always good to start with the intent of the campaign. So really understanding from corporate what is your intention? What are your objectives? Why do you think this? Being able to then get them to break it down by when do you expect to achieve this by as well? I think it's really key to understand that element. And then going back to my sales leaders or business partners, to be honest, and saying, here's, here's a program that we think is going to work in market. Here are the accounts that we are targeting. Here are the reasons why we're targeting them. Does this make sense? And usually at that stage, you sort of get a probably a 50 to 60%. Yes, that makes sense here. No, that makes absolute no sense here. But by the way, you know, they'll feedback and then they'll feedback, by the way, have you thought about this though? Because we believe that for that 40 to 50% where this campaign doesn't make sense, we we could message something a little differently and look to actually position a different solution. 
And so you start to gather all that feedback and go, okay, let me think about how we nuance this. And so rather than going back to, to, to HQ and saying, we're not going to do the campaign or we're going to do a subset of it, what we try to do is go back and say, hey, we, we're definitely going to run your campaign or program. We're going to localize it. And here are some of the localization messages, some of the images. Here are some of the other ideas that we have to augment that. But by the way, we've found a subset that we can't really approach, but here's something that we can do. And we've created another program that we'd like to roll out to support this, almost like a you know parent-child campaign. Maybe if you take some of the demographics in the program we've presented back to you, you might find in other regions you could use that. And you know we reverse engineer it a bit, which then allows us to always be able to have a seat at the table, even in the strategic part of trying to roll out these programs. Because I think when you're in a growth part of the business, it's very easy to be told what to do even though you desperately want to also be able to contribute beyond just implementing programs. And there is real value, I think, when you're sort of in a growth market to be able to try things a little differently and then be able to experiment a bit further and then send that back the other way, so to speak. So I think that's really some of the ways we try and personalize. And to give you an example around that, you know, some of the programs that we, we look at are doing thought leadership roundtables. We always, as we try and get into new markets, and this is across my career, so not necessarily just with CSG at the moment, because our HQ has such credibility in their markets, they can run those thought leadership roundtables and invite executives of their own accord because the brand is so strong. However, if we were to do the same in Asia Pacific, as we try and build brand and brand credibility, it's very hard to get that, that same level of seniority to come along. So what we find is it's always better to partner with the analysts or industry experts to help us really drive that program as, so we can start to build the brand presence. So that's just one of those nuances between, you know, here's what we're going to do and then here's how we're going to implement that locally. Very interesting. And, and you know, is this approach the same across all the different geographies within APAC? So, you know, is this the same approach for, for example, ANZ versus Singapore or Thailand and and, and Malaysia and India? Or do you kind of change that approach depending on the geography and country? Look, I think, to be honest, it changes and it's nuanced. And, you know, you can almost, for me anyway, there's the ANZ market, South Asia market, and then the India and the subcontinent market. So we, when we go into those markets, we really have to think about how do we, how do we thoughtful of the culture and how do we build demand and build brand presence, which is reflective of what is happening globally for us as a business, but also what happens there locally. So, you know, I find that here in APAC, we tend to partner a bit more with industry thought leaders and we leverage less on industry events. So, you know, we don't have big, big industry events, for example, that are the must-go-tos every year. There's not one or two that you can hang your hat on and go, if we go there, we know that we're going to, it's our marquee event. I don't feel like in telco anyway, we have that opportunity. So it's really about being much more thoughtful and personal in our approach and building that thought leadership platform around that. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Are there certain geographies that you find more challenging than others in, in, in the APAC region? Yes. 
Can we talk about which ones are those? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, no. Uh, so, yes, we can. And I think, to be honest, it, it is always around language. So, mm. you know, here at CSG, right now at CSG, I, I don't necessarily market into China or Japan or Korea. But in previous roles, you know, when I've had to work in those geographies, just language in, its, in and of itself is a challenge, right, going in there. And then you overlay that with culture, particularly when you have a very, you know, highly specialized solution. So you can't just have someone take your content and translate it because it's around, you know, it could be around mining or it could be around utilities. And so it really needs to have the translation services around that be nuanced. And even then, sometimes certain terms don't translate appropriately. And so that that's a real challenge. How do you get the right technical experts in another country take your content and then translate that and then also present that in a way that makes sense so there are definitely markets that are harder and you have to then overlay that with cultural nuances so you know if you go into japan and you're trying to do a launch you can't just decide to be there you've you know it's years of building up relationships it's really about um, being respectful of the relationships that you have and taking almost a bit of a partnership softly, softly approach, which is very different to, let's say, doing business in South Asia, where you still need to partner, but you can be a little bit more upfront and be, you know, around what you're trying to do. And they're a bit more, they're much more accommodating of looking at content in English, for example, as well. Got it. But I mean, some geographies, I mean, I, I like Vietnam and, and Indonesia, I don't know what your experience is. I mean, language thing is, is still a, a challenge there as well. Is that is that what you find as well? Yes, 100%. You, you, you're always going to have that language challenge. And I think it's really about most of the time when we, we've had any programs there, particularly face-to-face programs, it's always about trying to, like I said, have that translator on site and being able to then use the same translator all the time to be able to build that relationship so that every time you come back in, they are starting to learn more about your business and they can consistently provide the right information. And, you know, it just means that events or programs that would typically take two hours take four hours, right, because there's that pause and it's also just learning to, to manage that. I remember the first time I had to do that, you know, I started speaking and then the translator looked at me like, stop talking. I need to translate. <laughs> and you sort of go, oh, yeah, sorry. And then you stop. And so you've really got to you really think about the words that you use and what you were trying to communicate because you appreciate that this is long and laborious for for all parties as well. Very interesting. Uh, I, I like that story that sh- that the translator was like, "All right, you could uh, you can stop now." Love it. What are what are some of the mistakes you've seen regional marketers make when it comes to personalization? Some, you know, I think it's very easy for us in region, particularly if you're new in your role, to take what is given to you by HQ. And then just put some local imagery on it, right? And go, you know what? That's okay. We'll just send that out and that's okay. And we'll see. And I think, you know, in the past, you may have gotten away with it, right? But nowadays with digital marketing in particular and the MarTech stack that we have, people will be very unforgiving around that because it's very easy to see. And people are quick to see that, oh, that's, that 
message doesn't really resonate with me locally or that imagery doesn't really make any sense because it doesn't align to the messaging. So I think, you know, one of the things I see a lot is the, the imagery doesn't always align and they just take what's given to them. The other thing is not taking the time to understand actually what needs to happen in each of these different geographies to be successful from a cultural perspective. Doing some market research, not only about how to do, not only about business etiquette, but how are your competitors playing in that space? What are they doing? What are they doing well? What aren't they doing well? I think that's super important when we start to go into these different geographies, because as marketers, it's easy to, we get really busy to go, you know what? Yes, let's just take that. And then we can tick the box and that campaign can go out the door, but we really, we, we can lose a lot by doing that. And so I think it's about taking the time to understand doing the research understanding what your competitors are doing so that you don't look like a me too in the market. So, you know, being thoughtful about being creative, but also being understanding that being creative, which is one of, I think, the beautiful benefits of being in marketing. It also means so that your creativity is aligned to culture and beliefs. So you just have to take a step back and go, I might think that's really funny or that's really clever, but if I'm looking at it through a different lens, through my customer's lens, and they're from a country in South Asia, would they think that's funny or quite offensive? As well, right? It's like, how dare you? <laughs> correct, <laughs> correct. So I think that that they're the they're the things that happen more often than not. Yeah, got it, got it. Okay. Now, Suzanne, I got a couple of rapid fire questions I want to ask you, but before diving into that. Is there anything else with regards to the personalization and ad- adaptation of campaigns from HQ to, to the region that maybe we didn't touch on that you think it's important for us to talk about? Yeah, I think, you know, I think marketing and sales, it's so important when we when we do these programs. We really just need to be aligned. And I always say to my teams, sales is an impact game because it's a pe- people buy from people. Marketing's the same. It's an impact game, right? It's not a numbers game. We like to think it's a numbers game, but I'm in B2B. It's not a numbers game. It's about what am I doing and how can I support my team locally to be impactful? How do I help them arrive with presence? How do I not only help them arrive with presence, but continue to have that presence and then build their, them to be you know, trusted partners in the space that we're in? And so as, as APAC marketers, I think one of the opportunities and challenges we have is the further away you get from HQ, you also have some ability to do some things that people closer to HQ can't in terms of creativity and program execution. So use those opportunities, make the most of them and start small. And be thoughtful about it because what you find is when you start having these successes, it works the other way. HQ will come back to you and go, so how did, what, what did you do? How did you get that success? What do you think we could do? Could we, glo- could we have that program globally? Could we roll that out globally? Would that make sense? And there is an opportunity when you do that because it impacts a fun area. It's a fun region. There is a huge opportunity then for you to also then have that seat at the table and provide input into global campaigns. If not at some stage, run some of them yourselves. Got it. I love it. I love it, Suzanne. Are you struggling with your campaigns? Maybe they're not performing as well as you thought they would. 
Well, luckily for you, the team at Xgrowth have nailed the art of account-based marketing. So if you'd like to know more about how you can hop on the ABM train, book a free consultation with the account-based marketing experts at Xgrowth to help you get started with your ABM journey today. All right, let's do some rapid-fire questions. Okay. okay. First one is one resource. What comes to mind? It could be a book, an audiobook, podcast, blog, whatever it is that has had a profound impact on the way that you work or live. The Happiness Lab by Dr. Laurie Santos has got to be, it's, it's one of my favorite podcast series. It's very easy to digest and it's all about people and our emotions. And let's face it, we're in marketing. So we're all about you know, getting to know people and understanding how to, to their emotions. But it's definitely one of those podcasts that I can dip into and dip out of. And it really makes me think about the world we live in, the impact we have in this world. And then it gives me ideas on not only how I can be a better person, but how I can do things better as well in my career and um, in my programs, to be honest. Love it. Love it. Happiness Lab. Sounds awesome. Question number two is... If you could give only one advice to B2B marketers, let's say B2B marketers in APAC, what would it be? Learn to say no. <laughs> I love that. That, is, that, should be, that should be a banner. That should be like a massive poster on the wall. It, it is honestly, it is very easy to try and be everything to everybody and not necessarily achieve great results, but do well. And I think, you know, this year and in my career in particular, it's really important to really focus on what, I, what we call the vital few. What are the three to five programs that are going to move the dial? What, what are they? What will they do? And then really focus on those programs. Work with your sales leadership team and your partners. Get them to sign in on it and approve it. And then basically everything else is a nice to have. Everything else you, is noise. It's all noise. Just learn to say no. That's what I say. That's such a powerful capability and skill. So uh, thanks for that. Question three. Who are some of the influencers that you follow? Yes. So this is an interesting one. So I obviously, Anne, Anne Hadley, love her, content queen. But actually some interesting ones I follow, and I've thought about this, was Jason Miller. So I heard Jason Miller speak at a B2B marketing conference a couple of years ago now in Australia. And he really, he, he really taught me about the big rock, right? Like one big piece of content and then slice and dice that. And he worked for a number of different organizations. So I still follow him now and I think he's super fun. And then the other one is Bob Iger, who, as we all know, used to be the CEO of Disney and there is, when I follow his career, I just find him fascinating at how he could always pick the trends. And, you know, he, mm. he really turned Disney around. And Disney is the ultimate marketing organization. Marketing so, machine. I, you know, I'm always impressed. They are a machine and I'm always impressed with, with how he built that organization. I love those recommendations. I definitely need to check out some of them. Question four and the final question is... What excites you about B2B today? I think what excites me about B2B is that it can be anything, right? Like right now, we, B2B is such an exciting space for me personally. 
because I think for so long everyone always looked at it as, oh, you're the sad, sorry cousins of B to C because the sales <laughs> cycles are so long and you don't do anything really, really interesting. But the MarTech has really caught up and it gives us a real opportunity to do some of the things that we couldn't always measure but knew intuitively we were doing successfully. So I think, you know, the next couple of years in B2B are really going to be exciting because, number one, we can start to really measure success. And number two, some of the programs that we have always wanted to be able to run that we might not have been able to because we couldn't measure it and show ROI, we can now do. So that, that for me, B2B is a great place to be, so to speak. And I look forward to what comes around the corner next. Suzanne, this has been an awesome conversation. And you, sh- you shared so many insights and s- so many great points. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this, this chat. Thanks again. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.